Go ahead and pick your speed up your number one now, runway 27, clear to land green dot. Welcome to Oshkosh, guys. Hello and welcome to The Green Dot, EA's podcast for everyone and anyone who loves aviation. I'm Tom Sharpentier, Government Relations Director at EAA. Sitting to my left is... Charlie Becker, and I oversee the chapters and home building programs. And to my right... And I'm John Egan, and I'm the manager of the chapters team here at EAA. So today's episode is going to be kind of a cross between uh, an episode where we bring in a guest to talk about a particular subject matter and kind of those hangar flying talks that we have among ourselves as staff here at EAA. Um, recently, I uh, came into possession of a uh, of, of an aircraft project, actually, a uh, WAG Aero 2 Plus 2, which is a home-built replica of a PA-14 family cruiser, Piper. Uh, and uh, that put me into uh, the ranks of, of the, I guess now three uh, cub copy builders here on staff, Charlie and John. Uh, and over the last month or so, um, you know, we've been talking a lot about uh, whether you call it scratch building or plans building, the idea of building an aircraft from plans, mostly with raw stock. Uh, and the, a lot of the intricacies, the things you have to learn to do that, and a lot of the decision points you make along the way. And we've been talking so much, we thought it might be a good episode. Um, so I guess, we should start with that. For those who are unfamiliar, what what is scratch building or what some people might call plans building? Do either of you want to take that? Well, I'll go ahead and jump in on this one. I mean, really, when EA was founded back in 1953, it was the only way to go. In fact, a lot of times you didn't even have plans at that point. You just had an idea in your mind and sketched it out. You know, Steve Whitman used to draw it on the, the hangar floor when he'd make a fuselage, but it was the idea of just you know, having an idea or, you know, a set of plans and just building it from those raw materials. Back in the day, they used to talk about uh, what they'd call a kit, but it was really just someone went through and said to build a fly baby or to build a, you know, a Piper J3 knockoff, you needed this much tubing, this much wood, and it just made the ordering easier from, you know, whoever, Crest Bruce or wherever the supply house was. But it's just the idea that you're doing pretty much everything yourself. Yeah, definitely. I, I kind of think of it as the progression of EAA was really, in the very beginning, it was a lot of engineering types who who not only built their own airplanes, but designed their own airplanes. And then the popular ones, kind of by demand, started having plans. And then, you know, eventually, uh, you know, with folks like, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dick Van Grunsven, Dick Van Grunsven, excuse me, uh, Jim Beatty and a few others, we started having kits. Uh, so that's um, uh, so we're kind of going back to the to the earlier days of, uh, of home building with the with the design, design and build process. So how about you, John? What brought you to uh, the idea of doing uh, scratch building? And, and this is actually your second build, isn't it? Yeah, you alluded to the fact that a lot of, in the past, a lot of engineer types were those scratch builders. And I'm an engineer by trade. I spent many years in the engineering field and manufacturing. So I know my way around machine shops, machine shop practices very well. And that really attracted me. And I love building. I love doing anything with my hands. So I love all hands on things. My first project was a paint and pole where I bought uh, literally seven boards, rough sawn of Sitka spruce. And I went home and planed them, ripped them and uh, built up a paint pole. Um, with that, and now I'm on to the, uh, with, with Charlie, we're each building our own Super Cubs, and we're scratch building those. So I really enjoy um, the fact that I can um, plan my, my build from scratch, where I literally enjoy building the fixtures to weld things up. Charlie's our welder of the group, 
and I really enjoy the fixturing, um, sourcing all of the parts. As you mentioned, you literally have to, or Charlie did, you literally have to source every single part when you scratch build an airplane. And my definition of scratch building may be different than others. Um, I, I liken it to baking a cake from scratch. You start with a bunch of raw materials, eggs, flour, butter, sugar, those kind of things, and you have a recipe. Um, so I liken, I liken scratch building an airplane uh, to getting sourcing raw materials and then starting with the plans, where, as Charlie alluded to years ago, scratch building may have considered consisted of just an idea and a, uh, a, a blank floor to build on. So, Well, and, and you know, no matter um, whether you're building the plans or not, there's always some customization that goes into, uh, into scratch building or either, either by desire or by necessity. I mean, not every set of plans is exactly complete, right? So, um, so that, that is definitely a, uh, you know, every home built is different and that, and it's no, no truer in the, uh, in the scratch built and plans built community um, than anywhere else. Yeah, I would say, you know, you said, uh, you know, you kind of have to, when you get a set of plans, you're in a situation where, you know, you're trying to build it to these exact tolerances. But if you and I are both, you know, John and I, we're both building the exact same aircraft. We have the same plans, but it's much more of craftsmanship. You know, you're having to do everything. So your tolerances are not nearly what we see today in the kit market. I mean, the kit market today, you have literally kits with, you know, holes in both parts, pre-bent things that you can take out of the box and start going together. And, you know, those rivet lines are exactly perfect because they were done by a machine. And, you know, it's it's just done over and over on a CNC machine. In the old days with plans building, you know, you're measuring and measuring means human error. That's the bottom line. I mean, so, you know, at the end of the day, when you do a scratch built plane, it is custom. Like your motor mount, for your, you know, your Super Cub knockoff is not going to necessarily fit on mine. I mean, it'll be close, but it might not fit. So that's just the human element enters in a lot more on the on a on a plans built aircraft than a current day kit. Yeah, and and that's okay. I mean, the uh, a lot of people think that you know, you know to build a safe airplane, it's got to be built you know with the tolerances of a Swiss watch, and. Actually, you know, when you fundamentally get down to it, an airplane's a very simple machine. Uh, and there are things that have very, very tight tolerances and need to for safety. Most of them involve, you know, stuff on the engine, um, which um, most scratch builders don't go all the way down to that level, but some do. Uh, but, um, you know, on a, lot of, uh, on a lot of items, you know, as long as you're within... I, you know, whatever, pick, pick your reference, but it's, uh, you know, it's nothing that a, that, a, that a skilled hobbyist woodworker, metal worker would be unfamiliar with, right? Yeah, I just think, you know, nowadays when you see the modern kits, and we see this a lot in the, the judging that occurs in Oshkosh, the quality, you know, the, the precision has gone up dramatically from the early days. You know, the fit and finish has gone up dramatically compared to the early days, you know, so it's, it, it, you don't have, yes, it, it, there's, anyone can do this, you know, it's not like it has to be that the tolerance have to be so great that it's beyond the, the realm of the, most people. It's just that, you know, oftentimes we see the, 
you know, you, you roll up to Oshkosh in your, in your scratch build plane and you compare it to something that came out of a kit environment and it can be, you know, it can be one where it's just not as maybe refined as, as, as a kit would be. Sure, sure. Because they figured all that stuff out for you. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk a little bit more about the uh, the, the advantages of, uh, of being a scratch builder. I think probably the biggest one in, in my mind, and Charlie, you've mentioned this a lot, is, uh, is the cost. I mean, you can do a lot of work for not a lot of money. Yes, there's a lot of sweat equity that goes into the, the building of the aircraft. And, you know, John and I like to say, you know, we bought... I don't know, about $800 worth of tubing. We each bought our $800 and that kept us, that's kept us busy for the entire fuselage basically, you know, and that's just not how it works in the kit world. The kit world, you're putting down a large down payment typically in the form of a kit. Scratch building, you know, a couple, two, three, four hundred $400 for plans, you know, another say $1,000 and you're probably well suited at that point to go ahead and start doing some serious construction. And the other thing that's nice about plans building is you string your costs out over a much greater period of time. I mean, the downside is it takes longer, but the upside is, you know, you can make an investment in some materials, work for quite a while before you have to worry about another big financial investment. It's all time investment. Yeah, that that to me is really attractive is, you know, I hate to go into debt for things. And, um, you know, when you're, when you're scratch building, it's going to take a while. And, and that means you can amortize the cost over a long amount of time and essentially think about it as making a loan to yourself, right? You know, just, just budget a little bit every year. The other part on that, Tom, too, is, you know, what, what's happened to me is when you're scratch building, you know, we're working on the fuselages and we know we have to deal with these wings. Well, you know, time is on your side to find some bargains. When you start telling people like, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm working on this. Oh, you know, well, I've got, you know, these old steam gauges that I'm really not going to use. You know, here's an altimeter. I mean, I've had somebody give me an altimeter. I was at uh, a, an airport and they had a, you know, kind of an air, you know, an air, uh, a, uh, you know, flea market going on for all the aircraft parts from all the hangars. And I was able to pick up wing tip, you know, uh, wing tips for very cheap, a number of other materials. So scrounging along, you know, during the time that you're building is is very real. I mean, you get the op- opportunity to f- unearth some bargains. Yeah, and uh, good point, Charlie. Another thing that we've found is sometimes we pick up some parts not to use them, but to use them as templates or and to replicate them. You know, we take a, take a look at the landing gear, for example, and torque tubes, and you know, anything, uh, elevators, all those parts are great templates if you have something to look at it makes your building that much easier just to use as a template or a model or a a living example of what your goal will be a lot of times the pieces may be damaged where they're not usable anymore so you can get them either you know at a you know obviously very discounted so that can be a big help when you're scratch building as well plans building I know, I know every year, John, you always try to make a point of getting through Aeromart here at AirVenture to see if there's any parts and pieces that can help us on the project. And, you know, you can usually find some pretty good deals there. Yep. And I, over the years with my Pete and Pole project and the, and the Cub project, I found a few, a few items, tailwheels, things like that. Uh, there are some milestone investments that I like to, uh, as I like to call them, where you do get up 
get the uh, fuselage welded up, the landing gear legs welded up, and then it's time to think about building, you know, buying wheels and brakes. Then you have to make that decision: Are you going to buy new or used, and what avenue are you going to take to get that? And that does, uh, you know, then then you start putting a little bit of investment down into the project, and you really solidify your choice that okay, this is something I'm committed to, and I want to keep building. When you start building, uh, buying some of those items. So one thing we've been alluding to is the amount of time that a project like this takes. And it is a significant amount of time. I mean, um, you know, we worked on the uh, Zenith 750 Stoll staff build. And, you know, frankly, we didn't invest a ton every week into that project. But it still only took, what, Charlie, about three years or so, mm-hmm. I think, when by the time we finished yep. it. Um, and, you know, that was a well-engineered kit. And and uh, and some of the newer Zenith kits are even better engineered. So uh, that definitely... and. As we well know, right, uh, we've done it twice now. You can actually build a, a modern kit aircraft in a week if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a lot longer. Uh, you guys have been at it for, uh, John, how, how long have you been building well, yours? We, we like to talk about that we haven't watched a Super Bowl in over 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so we've, we have a commitment to, to, to work on Super Bowl Sunday and put our, put our airplanes together. And we're nickel and dime. We're, not, you know, we're really nickel and dime builders when it comes to time as well as investment. Um, you know, I belong to the uh, flying club. I, I enjoy flying the flying club airplane, so I have something to, to fly in, uh, which affords me the opportunity, you know, not to have to hurry to build an airplane. And uh, same case with Charlie. He has a, 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 a cub of his own, and he's in the flying club here as well. Um, so, you know, we just I just enjoy leisurely building. So um, it's not a race. I enjoy building for quality. And... Uh, when when I, when I feel like building, but I I do uh, I am very anxious. I love building, and I think about it every day. Yeah, I think that is one thing that we always say here when we're adv- trying to advise somebody on a project is is don't build because you want to fly, um, build because you want to build, and uh, um, and you know certainly it is a longer process, and some people may be turned off by that, but. Um, but yeah, I mean, certainly if, if, if the project isn't keeping you away from having an aircraft that you can fly, which in both of your cases and mine as well, it's not, uh, then that, that works out uh, pretty well. What about some of the, um, uh, the skills that you learn going through a process like this? Uh, you know, uh, th- and this is in no way to um, say anything against somebody who's building a more sophisticated kit, but you definitely do by necessity, pick up a much more detailed knowledge of a lot of different fabrication skills when you're working on a uh, on on a scratch build. Yeah, I mean, I, I would make a fairly good argument that I think you need to know how to weld for most of them. That's not true of all of them. I mean, you can scratch build Zeniths and Sonics's, and that is a good option. You know, just to point this out, there are there are some designs out there by a couple of the kit manufacturers that do offer plans options and that's a an attractive way to go because you can you can also choose what you want to fabricate so a lot of times they'll still sell you parts and pieces so that makes it very uh very good so like for example if you don't want to learn how to weld and you're going to scratch build a sonics you can buy the motor mount the push pull tubes uh, you know things that are welded straight from the company and then do all the sheet metal yourself but in general, if you're going to do more of a traditional one, like either a, a tube and rag plane or even a peat and pull, I know I know on John's he added a weld. You know, all that wood gets attached to different things with you know steel fittings. So welding, either TIG or gas welding, is I, I kind of think is kind of a must-have skill to develop. 
and you can develop it too. I mean, you don't have to go into it with that skill, but you, there's a good chance you're going to want to learn that skill. And where would you pick up a skill like that? Um, you know, let's say that you're that you're interested in doing a project like like a home built cub maybe, and uh, and you you're you're not a welder. Uh, where where would you uh, where would you go for that? Well, I know I I started acquiring acquiring my welding skills by getting together with the tech counselor at my chapter, and he spent some time with me, got me the the foundational instruction, and then it's all about practice after that. Obviously, we also have our sport air workshops, which are two-day courses. We do the TIG welding here in Oshkosh because it's kind of a requirement due to the facility because those are harder to ship around. And then we do the gas welding around the country. And those are those would be the equivalent of what I learned from my tech counselor in my local EA chapter. So that's a great place to start as well. John, I mean, you've done some welding. Where, where did you start? Yeah, as I mentioned, I, I was an engineer for a long time in a manufacturing facility, so I had some uh, access to weld shops and some terrific welders, some meaning people. Uh, so I did get some instruction from some uh, industrial um, maintenance folks who were TIG welders and gas welders, uh, and they helped me get going on learning those types of skills. Um, otherwise, it's a lot of hands on fabricating of machine parts, of mechanical parts. Uh, through the, with the Cub airplanes, we use a lot of 4130 chrome moly, flat steel and tubing, basically. So it's a matter of you know, cutting the materials either on a bandsaw or uh, a four inch disc, um, disc grinder with a, a cutoff wheel in it. Works very well for cutting those materials. And uh, you get very well with the sanders, uh, belt sanders and disc sanders and um, obviously heating and uh, hammering um, when you taper some of the parts together. You get very much um, in tune with sheet metal shears and brakes as well when you form some of the sheet metal parts. Yeah, I, I guess, uh, I'm, and I'm coming into this pretty cold. I've got one day of welding under my belt <laughs> working in, in Charlie's shop. But Yeah, uh, that wasn't a day either. It <laughs> was like an hour. <laughs> I had somebody ask, but you know, so uh, what kind of background do you have for this? And I said, um, uh, government and legal studies with a minor in history. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but but to that yeah. point, you can learn all of these skills. I mean, I always try to emphasize to anybody thinking about building an airplane, whether a kit or a, a plans built. You know, somewhere along the line, everybody learned these skills. No one was born with them. You just it might be easier if you have other skills to draw on. I mean, if you're used to, you know, doing precise measurements and things like that, then it, it makes the transition easier. But I pretty much started out with nothing myself. I mean, and just have picked it up all as you go. I mean, it's the, the whole necessity uh, is a great driver for learning new skills. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I I definitely see that. And, um, you know, it's, it's really... It's good to pick up these kinds of skills too, because um, they, they serve you in a lot of other areas. Um, you know, be it your hobbies or sometimes even your work. Uh, so it's uh, it's definitely a great process. Yeah, another uh, area I've I've definitely heard some good things on from other um, EA members is um, you know if your if your local community or tech college um, offers a non credit course in something like uh, welding or, or sheet metal or or, um, or what have you, um, that can be a, that could be a great option uh, as well. Yeah, so I just want to make one comment there. I did actually take a community college course when I first moved here to Oshkosh on welding. And one thing you have to be aware of is that 
when you say welding at a community college, you are typically talking quarter inch plate and we are mm -hmm. talking about 35 thousandths. It is, uh, it is, I mean, it's the same process, but it's a lot different. Sure. And so you might not find as much value there as, as it might sound when you read the course description. Yeah. Yeah. I think often a community college or a college curriculum may more often include MIG welding instead of TIG welding. Yeah. And you really want to learn TIG welding if you're going to weld aircraft parts. Or, of course, you can use gas welding, which is oxygen and acetylene flame um, for, a, for a heat source. And I'll just be the millennial in the room here. Uh, there's a lot of great educational content on places like YouTube, too. So if you're kind of a visual learner like I am, um, that's a... Uh, that's a good place to go. And EAA also uh, does sell um, a DVD on uh, TIG and gas. Uh, correct, that, Charlie? That is correct. Yeah. I do want to just point out one other thing. We just, uh, just this last week, I did a great webinar with Mike Beasley from the Canard Owners and Builders Association. And if you're going to scratch build, you know, and you go the composites uh, track, you know, with something like a very easy or a long easy, it is a, you know, it's still scratch building, but it is a. It, we're not talking about it much because we're kind of tube and rag people in this room. But you know, if you want a very easy or long easy, you're going to be scratch building it, and it's going to be the moldless composite construction, which, again, another skill to acquire, but it's very acquirable, and you have end up with a you know a pretty high performance aircraft when you're done. Yeah, thanks for bringing that up, Charlie. I uh, <laughs> That's right. I've been so invested in my project in the last couple of uh, months that I hadn't even thought of that. But but yeah, I mean, um, I've, I've done um, mostly on boats, but I've done a lot of work with uh, with fiberglass and epoxy. And man, that is that is magic stuff. I, uh, I really enjoy working with it. And that is um, it's easier than you think. Uh, for those of you who are considering something something going down that route. Yeah, if you're interested in composite, honestly, don't dismiss using composites to your cub project as well. Um, we, you know, I laid up some floorboard, uh, baggage floorboards, that is, with composite materials. Um, you can make a turtle deck out of composites, and then obviously you could do some cowling work as well with composites, or interior paneling uh, using composites in your cub. So, although, yeah, rag and tube mostly in this room, uh, we also dabble a little bit in composite stuff. So, um, so John, you brought up a, a you brought up our projects again. Let, let's talk about our projects a little bit because uh, the I, I think it's a good example of a scratch building community that has a really good community around it. Um, that's one you know disadvantage of of working in the scratch or plans building world, depending on what you're building. I mean, if you're building a Zenith or a Sonics, obviously you have factory support. Um, you know, for a lot of other designs the person who designed it may not even be with us anymore. So um, the, uh, the, the, the experimental cub community is obviously very, very strong and, and, uh, um, and healthy, um, not just because of the folks that are playing around the backcountry in Alaska. The Stoll community is stronger than ever. So there's a lot of interest around this right now. And uh, I think that's one advantage of building a design that it's kind of unique in that, you know, there's there's a large experimental community around it. And then there's also a large standard category certified community around it, which also gives me a lot of faith in the design. You know, the fact that it's, uh, you know, it's it's more proven than practically anything. Um, 
So, John, let's start with your project real quick. Um, you're building a uh, you're building a, basically you could think of it as a copy of a of an early Super Cub, right? Yeah. So I'm looking at a uh, think of a the first Super Cub, Super Cub one. Uh, we started with the the E2 Cubs and then the J3 Cubs, PA11 Cubs, um, and then ca- then ca- came along the first version, the Super Cub, which was a 90 horsepower uh, airplane without flaps, and it was. Uh, Enclosed, you know, the fully uh, enclosed cowl um, around the cylinders of the airplane. So that's basically what I'm building, except with a little bit larger engine. I I plan on going over 100 horsepower with my engine selection, but it's a basic Cub without flaps. Um, trying to keep it light. I'm a sport pilot, so I'm trying. I'm, I want to make sure I can get into that category. I'm looking forward to Mosaic, Tom, when that <laughs> happens, and then I will be able to raise my gross weight on my registered airplane higher. Uh, because I will know that I built it structurally with the integrity to go with a, for example, 1,800 pound gross weight as opposed to a 1,320, which I may end up registering it uh, to to begin with. Yeah, you're not going to finish in the next two years, are you? Probably not. All right, uh, then. Right, I probably do your best to hold me to it, but we should be we, we should be good there. Yeah, so I'm looking for yeah. a, a you know a basic lightweight cub, steam gauges for the most part, maybe a little bit of uh, engine. Um, um, uh, digital gauges for the engine um, monitoring, possibly. Uh, but basically, yeah, old school Cub style, no flaps. And any um, any other modifications to the original design that you made? Well, both Charlie and I are modifying our airframes with some safety upgrades that everybody is utilizing, to, utilizing today. For example, the very common mod safety-wise is an X-brace in the roof of the, uh, of the canopy. Uh, traditionally, there's just a one diagonal going across the upper canopy, and everybody adds that that extra diagonal, making an X brace. There are a couple of diagonal tools, uh, tubes down by your uh, in the front of the cockpit, uh, down toward the uh, front corners of the uh, engine engine mount that we're adding. Uh, things like that. There's um, probably a couple other tubes that that uh, we're we're going to add that or have added that I'm not thinking of, but just some just some basic, uh, oh, attaching the seat belts to the uh, fuselage instead of to the seats. Um, years ago, um, seat belts were attached to seats, and now they're attached to floors, uh, things like that. A good example of how in the experimental category, you can just you can just do that with, uh, with no paperwork and then um, you know, make the design a little bit safer. So yeah. that's good. On my, on my Cub, I'm going to have... Uh, access on the right side only as traditional on the left side i'll have the flip up window instead of a sliding window and charlie your uh, your cub yeah so charlie you're gonna you're um you're building a, a little bit fancier uh cub than um uh, than john's uh, why don't you take us through your build yeah i mean we started off with the same idea in mind you know uh sport pilot pilot kind of you know 90 horse super cub knockoffs and i Fairly quickly as a private pilot, with the you know the passage of uh, basic med, I was like, you know, I don't really need to be as a sport pilot with this airplane. So I quickly discarded that, decided to go with you know Lycoming O320 powered kind of Super Cub. From day one, I wanted it to be a dirt bike of the air, so I put doors on both sides. So I'm going to have clamshell Super Cub doors so that you can really open it up. So it's kind of like kind of like an ultralight with a, a, a big welded structure around you so that you get that ultralight feel, but yet you have this robust protective structure around you. Um, you know, doing some 
uh, doors on the side of the aircraft so that I can get a case of spotted cow in there. So when I go to visit my friends in other parts of the country, I can give them a gift. And then I'm also making sure that I can sleep in the back if I get stuck somewhere, you know, and I don't have a hotel room or whatnot that I can roll out a sleeping bag. And so I have extended baggage going back long enough that I'm, I'm not particularly tall. So it was fairly easy to, to add that in. So other than that, it's pretty much a super cub. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, like I said, it's, it's been fun uh, and I love welding. So for me, it was a natural to pick this design. Yeah. And so Charlie, you talked a little bit about what you sort of envisioned for the use of your aircraft. Um, you know, kind of being a sport utility vehicle kind of, Mm -hmm. uh, or dirt bike maybe is, is baggage and capacity wise. Maybe that's a better, uh, analogy. John, what do you see as, as kind of the mission for your aircraft? So I'm trying to stick to the theory of building to, you know, 90% of my, my mission. So the, the 10% that I may go on a long or extended trip, uh, is, is not the purpose that I'm building for. I'm building to fly in circles around the state of Wisconsin, up into Minnesota or wherever I land. Um, so basically low and slow, low and slow flight, just enjoying just the scenery from a cub. Um, that's, that's my mission. I want to make sure though, I have plenty of power. You know, there's no, there's no, uh, replacement for displacement, I'd like to say. So I just want to make sure that I can get up and go uh, because I will not have flaps. I have no intentions on landing in uh, along riverbeds, gravel bars, sandbars, any of that type of thing. I'm a um, on airport kind of guy, grass strips, absolutely. Um, so I just want to be able to uh, fly my, my cub in those kind of situations. Good. Yeah. So, and, and it sounds like you've, you've made decisions consistent with that, with that idea. Uh, which is you know, which is something that's really important when when you're selecting a uh, an aircraft to build um, or an aircraft to buy is you know um, you know pick something for what you want to do. Um, I'll just quickly mention what uh, what I've got. Um, so I'm building a uh, Wag Aero Sportsman Two Plus Two, not to be confused with the Glazair Sportsman Two Plus Two, which is a completely different airplane. The this the Wag Aero is a copy of a PA fourteen, which is kind of a rare aircraft in its standard category form. Uh, it's a um, it, it's kind of a widened. PA-18 Super Cub with Super Cub wings, Super Cub landing gear, Super Cub empennage. Pretty much the only thing different is the fuselage has been widened to just barely squeeze in four seats. Um, It's got two very narrow seats up front and kind of a sling seat in the back. Uh, But um, my significant other and I were kind of looking for a high wing that's a four-seater. And um, in the home-built world, that that kind of limits you to a couple of different designs, one of them being this. And um, I happen to have the opportunity to, to pick up this project. So um, the fuselage is done. And now I'm looking at a lot of decision points you guys have made, um, you know, a little while ago on your builds. Um, what kind of wing do I want? Um, the plans on on mine call for a wooden wing. And this kind of is a, is a good um, place to discuss, you know, in, on, on scratch building, you can you have the freedom to kind of pick the materials and building techniques that you're most comfortable with. And I think I'm probably more comfortable, not that I'm an expert at either, but I'm more comfortable as a woodworker than a metal worker. And the wood wing definitely appeals to me. Um, there's some sheet metal work to do potentially on the ailerons. And if I do flaps, the flaps, 
But um, I did want to go back to your guys' builds on the wings, because this is a good example of even when you're scratch building, there's some opportunities to bring kits into the equation. Um, because these are cubs and pretty much have all interchangeable parts, um, why don't you guys uh, talk a little bit about the, uh, the wings that you're putting on your aircraft? Sure. Uh, so a friend of mine, Bill Rusk, he's a Javron Cub builder and a Super Cub guy, and he's always posting on supercub.org. You know, he likes to call it kit bashing, where you take, I guess this came out of the model aircraft building world, but kit bashing is where you kind of take some parts and pieces from different kits and put them together. So you can do the same thing when you're scratch building. So if you're building something like we are, which is a Super Cub knockoff, if you were able to find the right set of, you know, ragged out Super Cub wings, you might use those. In my case, I ended up, because I'm more of a welder and I just want to make some progress, I ended up buying a wing kit and I'm just going to use those wings. So I'm kind of somewhere between a kit and a scratch built design now because of the decision to go with a wing kit. And, and so that exists in the world of, of, of scratch building and there's there's, you know, nothing wrong with it. And I think the only thing it'll impact is if I ever decide to judge it at Oshkosh, it won't be in the scratch building category. It'll be over in the kit building category. But other than that, you know, it'll accelerate the project. So for me, that was the right answer. Originally, I had played around with doing my own wing ribs, uh, a kind of a an original design there. We actually load tested some some samples, and I still want to pursue that project. But for the here and now, I just decided that a wing kit was going to be the the right answer for me. So, John, you've you've continued down the the, the scratch building path. Yeah, I'm building a uh, all aluminum wing. When I say all aluminum, it'll be uh, fabric covered uh, aluminum spars. So, I bought a I bought a set of spars that the the uh, strut attachment holes were pre-drilled in the spars, and the wing attachment holes are pre-drilled in the in the were pre-drilled the spars at the root end of the spar. And I'm going ahead and laying out the rest of the holes for my aileron attachments, gas tank straps, um, anything else, like uh, all the ribs, obviously, that get attached to the spars. I'm, I'm responsible for drilling all those holes. Um, and then I built all my ribs from scratch. So I'm going with a, a single one-piece rib. So I have a, a, a long piece of cap strap material that, you know, it's bent around in the shape of the traditional cub airfoil. And then uh, riveting uh, what I call what we call intercoastals um, along the length of the ribs to uh, make it into a, a rib form. And so um, I'm well on my way to uh, having a kit of uh, wing parts ready to go. Now, I am buying the diagonal brace wires, Tom, um, that run through the center of the wing. Those are something that are very challenging for a home builder to build because those are made with rolled threads on the on the on the wires, on the rods, uh, where home builders usually at home can cut their threads. But that's something you don't want to do in an airplane. You want to have those threads rolled. So I'm buying those pieces from a kit manufacturer. So 90, I don't know, 90, 90, 95 percent of my wing will be. Um, hand fabricated and I'll buy a few pieces along the way to help me all the pulleys and the um, the hinges for the ailerons for example and a few of my pieces for the hinges will be uh, purchased so essentially an aluminum wing scratch built with fabric covering so as the uh, um, government 
advocacy rules guy uh, here. I have to I, I do have to make one caveat. There is a limit to currently under the policy for how much um, you can use salvaged parts. So sometimes a wing depending may not technically work for 51%, but, um, which by the way, it used to like, uh, for, for, for breezies, it used to be commonplace because a breezy uses a super cub wing it used to be commonplace just to find, you know, a wrecked super cub <laughs> and, uh, and get the wings off of it and put it on your breezy. You can't do that anymore. So, um, the kits are, um, in some cases, the next best thing that we can do. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, you, you both, um, have, uh, you know, d- it's a good example of, of two different approaches to essentially the same wing. You're both building metal wings. Um, you know, Charlie, you were able to go ahead and get a, a kit that kind of turbocharges your progress. I'm sure that saved you. What do you think? At least probably a year's worth of work. Maybe it saves a lot of time. It saves a lot of time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and I benefit now I have a wing to copy. Yeah. That too. <laughs> I, I, I should say that, you know, when you're scratch building, you rely on the community of builders a lot more. I would just say, I mean, you need to, because, you know, John and I have gone and visited numerous projects. We've borrowed tooling. We've, you know, borrowed people's skills when need be. You know, one of the one of our coworkers helped us, you know, heat form the uh, the axle before you know for our, our wheels and uh, our landing gear. So I mean, you know, and, and you know, I just point out people are willing to help. But we borrow, you know, it's really handy to have a big shear or you know like a kick shear, or it's really handy to have access to a brake. We've gotten by without owning either of those, but you do need to have some friends that might have access. And that's where your EA chapters, either directly through have them having a tool crib and maybe, a, you know, if they have a hangar, they might have shop space. Uh, but if not directly, they probably have members within that group that somebody has a 10-foot brake or a shear or whatnot. And those kind of tools are a lot more useful when you're building from scratch. Yeah, I think the best example of getting some help from friends is Charlie and I. Um, He loves welding. I don't need to do the welding. I love making fixtures. I love planning the build process. Not so much for Charlie. Uh, So we really have a great relationship where we feed off each other's talents um, to help each other along this process. Yeah, no, definitely. And, um, and that's a really good, yeah, it's a really good example of the kind of support that you need to find uh, when you're working on that. And very much why I've been um, in your guys' office a lot more in the last couple of months. I've noticed that. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a great perk of uh, working at a place where you get paid to talk about airplanes all day. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's a real privilege to be able to do that. Tom, I would like to throw in one other thing, too. We, we touched on tech counselors earlier, and a tech counselor is another EA member that's a volunteer that's willing to come out and inspect your project, no cost. You know, you just call them up, set a time, they come over, and they look at your project in depth and give you some pointers about what you're doing right or wrong. It's up to you to decide whether you want to take their advice or not. But I know John and us, John and I, over the years, you know, we have some friends that are tech counselors come out during our adventure, so we usually have them come over, check on the project. Uh, we have some, you know, our, our chap, most chapters have a tech counselor too. So we've had our chapter tech counselor come over and look at it. It's important for all aircraft, but I would probably say that for a, 
you know, a scratch belt aircraft where you're doing so much more on your own, you know, you're not, you don't have the advantage of that kit, that having somebody that really knows what they're doing, take a look at it all the way through the project is a very good thing. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that up, Charlie. That's, uh, that's very important and, and a big part of the support structure that, um, uh, that we've, we've worked really hard to build here at EAA and in cooperation with a, a ton of, um, of very good volunteer talent. So if somebody wants to find out a little bit more about, um, I guess, you know, just in general scratch building or maybe, maybe the Super Cub projects in particular, uh, where can they go? Well, I know coming up, in January, we're going to be doing Home Builders Week again. We're going to have a, a, a subject on scratch building aircraft. So if you want to tune into that, that would be one thing. I know I publish my builder's log on the EA Builder's Log. EA.org slash builder's log will get you there, uh, which is a great resource. There's two, 300 projects on there now. It's free for members to document their builds. And it has keyword searching. So if you're specifically looking for, say, uh, you know, somebody that's doing something unique, you can oftentimes find it there. And John, you're you're posting a lot of yours on supercub.org, right? Yeah, supercub.org is one of the, the I have a thread on supercub.org, which is a popular uh, site for anything supercub related. Lo- wonderful people, lots and lots of valuable information on supercub.org. Um, my handle is uh, stick and rudder, S T K N R D D R on supercub.org and that's where I'm posting my build and um, just continually posting and allowing people to see my progress. I think I would like to add that um, one one advantage today we have over years ago is the internet. There is so much opportunity on the internet to see photographs of other people's builds and obviously the exchange of information that I think it really has increased the quality of our home building pro- projects. Absolutely. I mean, uh, it, the the ability to to share information is uh, is really important. Charlie, another yeah, point? Yeah, I will mention one other thing. John and I always do a super, building your own super cub talk. Sometimes it's with Bill Rusk as well at Air Venture on the set on the on the Saturday of Air Venture. So, you know, if you happen to be here next year, we'll be doing it again next year. Awesome, awesome. Well. Thank you both for, uh, for for coming in and talking airplanes today. This was a lot of fun, and uh, maybe uh, maybe in you know a little while longer. It's going to have to be a little while longer before we get um, some more <laughs> more progress done that we can talk about. But uh, but maybe we'll check in again on uh, on our projects. Certainly, when you guys fly, uh, we'll want to we'll want to uh, talk about that again. Um, but uh, yeah, you can uh, you can also find me on supercub.org. Uh, my uh, my handle there is. Otis 480. We're calling the airplane Otis after the champion of Katmai's Fat Bear Week because the other name for the airplane is a chubby cubby. So that was our idea there. But um, and if you want to leave a review for the podcast, uh, you can do that on your favorite podcast app. We always um, love seeing your feedback. Uh, it's uh, really important uh, that we uh, that we keep doing that to improve the show. Uh, we've got a great lineup now um, uh, that we've just been working on our um, on our lineup through. Um, uh, through early spring, I believe, with our producer, Christina. So um, we're really excited about bringing you some more episodes um, on all sorts of topics on, uh, on aviation. So until then, we'll see you next time when you're cleared to land on the Green Dot. Green Dot.